You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Just this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We're going to turn to the Word of the Lord. Amen. Oh, it feels good to be in God's house. Amen. I love what God is doing. I love being a part of it. Amen. We give Him all praise here today. Everybody do a little exercise for me here this morning. Put your elbows out. If you can do that. If you're able to, put your elbows out. Does everybody have room this morning? Everybody have room? The youth maybe not so much. They they might not have as much room. Amen. Amen. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. This is talking about Jesus. Immediately many gathered together. So that there was no longer room. Everybody say, no longer room. No longer room to receive them. Not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through... They let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And when some of the scribes that were sitting there reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of God has power on earth to forgive sins. Listen, they just said only God can forgive sins, and he says, I'm going to prove to you that I have power. To prove to you that, that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went into, out in the presence of them all, so that they all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Turned to your neighbor and said, Say, we never saw anything like this. Amen. And so for just a few moments here this morning, I'm going to preach to you on this topic. Make room. Make room. Amen. If you can set your Bibles down, lift up your hands one more time. We're going to ask God to have his way. Can we just do that right now? God, we are so thankful. God, we're so thankful for your word, Jesus. We're thankful, Jesus, for the encouragement and the strength that it gives us to live life God, the way that you want us to live. And we ask right now that you be with us, minister to us here today. God, from your word, speak through this servant here today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Everybody have room? Everybody have room? (laughs) The book of Mark is significantly shorter than the other three gospels. 
I was listening to a comedian once. His name is Michael Jr., and he said he didn't know anything about the Bible. And so somebody told him, start in the Gospels. So they said, you know, turn, turn here in the, in the Bible. And so he said, I began in, in Matthew. I began in Matthew reading through the Bible. And he said, I read about this man named Jesus that, that w- was crucified and was buried, and he rose again. And he said, I, I read about this individual. And then he said, I turned to the next book. I started reading in, Matt, in Mark, and he said, and then I read that they killed him again. And he said, how many times are they going to kill this guy? And he said, I turned to Luke and then to John, and they kill him again and again, uh, not realizing that he was reading the, the same stories, four different accounts. And uh, so today, we're, we're focusing in on the book of Mark. Mark, uh, he, he presents Jesus as a suffering servant. He focuses more on the actions of the Lord than of the teaching, preaching of the Lord. Mark probably emphasized the human aspect of Jesus more than all the rest. He gives us insight into the emotions and human uh, capabilities and limitations of the Lord. But it also is loaded with miracles, miracle after miracle. And in fact, when you begin to read the book of Mark, there's very little introduction or background information given about Jesus and who he was. Mark immediately jumps right into this book and begins recording the great miracles that he performed. Casting out demons, healing the sick, straightening a withered hand, calming the storm, raising people from the dead, walking on water. And I could go on and on here this morning, and I'm sure you want me to. Please go on and on. But this miracle that we are honing in on this morning was one of the earliest miracles in the life of the Lord. This is a time early in Jesus' ministry when he was very popular with the crowds. He has been traveling around, healing people, teaching about the kingdom of God, and they love him. They're eating it up. And he has begun to upset the religious hierarchy, and they are out to silence him. They want to make him quiet. So now the religious leaders, they were all perched in the neighborhood waiting to spring upon an unsuspecting Christ with their accusations. And Luke makes the point that Pharisees, And teachers of the law had come from all over Galilee, the Bible tells us. There are plenty of them in the room. Word got out that Jesus was teaching new and dangerous things. And so they were there to critique and keep an eye on him. Make sure that he follows (laughs) what we deem. And all in all, it was probably a very tense and difficult environment for Jesus to enter into, a tough crowd to be speaking to. But Jesus didn't seem to be perturbed or thrown off by it. The crowd that day, besides these religious leaders, was likely made up of ordinary folk, fishermen, those who ran the weaver's loom, the the farmers who worked the fields, the housewives who were building the home. And the Lord moves into the house, and soon the house is filled with capacity, and overflowing out into the street. Mark chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Preached the word to them. There was no longer room to receive any more into the house. There are some who attempt to quiet the voices maybe so they could hear what the Lord was saying inside the house. The windows are open. 
The front door is open. The crowd settles in to hear what the Lord has to say. You can hear a pin drop. And the Bible declares that never a man spake like this one. Never. Never a man spake like this one. Even the winds and the waves obeyed his voice. And the crowd is hanging on to his every word. Mark tells us that they, as they are into this packed and tense environment, come four men with their friend. There are four men. These four men with their friend on a stretcher. This man, the Bible tells us, was stricken with palsy. Dr. Luke, he concurs in his gospel that this man is suffering with paralysis from a disease affecting his nervous system. We don't know how long this man was paralyzed or what brought about his paralysis. We simply know that he is suffering with an incurable ailment and his friends, they, they turn right into action, jump into action. They hear about Jesus, they know that he's in town and they decide to take their friend to him. Oh, if we could just get him to Jesus. We heard some great things about Jesus. They had great church last Sunday. <laughs> We heard some great things about Jesus as he's been going from town to town. And if anybody can heal our friend, it's going to be Jesus. They heard about Jesus. And they know at least two things. They know, number one, their friend needs healing. And number two, Jesus is a proven healer. Little do they know that he is the healer. They've heard about Jesus and they believe that he can heal their friend. But when they arrive... They can't even get a foot in the door because the house was so full. People were standing outside with their ears towards the window and the doors just trying to hear what Jesus is saying. Just trying to hear what they is saying. And I agree. There are moments in life when the Lord is seemingly hard to get to. Job, if you know anything about his story, he illustrated this point very well. Job 23, verse 1, he says, Then Job answered and said, Even today my complaint is bitter. My hand is listless because of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seed. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in his great power? No, but he would take note of me. There the upright could reason with him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. Look, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him, and when he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. The Lord appears hard to find at times. Just ask the woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5 that fought her way through the crowd just to be able to touch the hem of Christ's garment. Just ask the blind man in Mark chapter 10 who cried out louder and louder, Son of David, have mercy on me as the crowd tried to silence him. Shh, Jesus is teaching, be quiet. Son of David, have mercy on me. 
Just ask him. So what are these four men going to do with their paralyzed friend when they see Jesus is seemingly inaccessible? If the four men would have just stood around, waited on the crowd to clear out, or would have waited until the right time, or would have waited until the right set of circumstances, they would have removed possibly their hope for a miracle. They couldn't wait until the next conference. They couldn't wait until the next time Jesus came through or the next, the next healing service. They had to get to Jesus now. We all have met people who have told us that one of these days I'm going to serve God. One of these days I'll come to church. One of these days I'll get a hold of God for myself. One of these days I'm going to get involved. One of these days. If you want the sun to stand still, you have to be in a fight. But if you want the water to be sweet, you have to have tasted the bitter first. If you want manna to fall from heaven, you have to be hungry. If you want the fire to fall from heaven, you have to be surrounded by doubt and unbelief. The four men, they had to do something. Anyone could resign. Anyone can throw in the towel and quit and say, that's it. I can't even. (laughs) No, not even one chuckle. Just checking to make sure you're still listening. Anyone can give up. But there are a few who refuse to give up. If one way fails, try another. Quit listening to the crowd. Refuse to give in or give up. Reach beyond yourself towards Christ. And sometimes the skies will not give up the rain until the prayer has been prayed again and again and again and again. Don't give up after the second, third, or fourth time of praying for that need. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep working. Stay with it. And make room for what God is about to do. They had to climb up the stairs with the stretcher. They had to begin to climb up onto the roof. They got on top of this house and they began tearing off the roof. <laughs> How desperate they were. They began tearing off the roof. Can you imagine that happening in church here this morning? Somebody's so desperate to get in that they're on top of the roof now just tearing it apart. There's noise as they stomp around you and try to break through. And soon there's a bit of sunshine that shines through. Then a large hole. And, and suddenly a man on a stretcher is lowered right in front of the preacher. Maybe pieces of the roof, straw and the dried mud, begin falling from the ceiling. The crowd covered in dust. And their service interrupted. They turn to Jesus and soon the question needs to be asked to us. How did you come to church today? (laughs) I don't see any holes. So I assume you did what most people do and come through the front door. There was room for you here this morning. There's room for you. Hopefully, you use the front doors. But everyone makes room for this man to be lowered in front of Jesus. The the Lord looked at the man and called him son. First word out of Jesus' mouth calls him son. The first word. Acceptance and inclusion right out of the gate. Or roof, I guess, in this case. You know who calls people son? Fathers. 
He simply looked at him and told him, thy sins be forgiven thee. And the progression of healing began from that moment. God saw beyond the disease that was plaguing his body. He reached beyond the calamity of this man. And Jesus saw that the man was sick, but he also saw beyond that and saw a man who was lost in sin and shame. The Greek word for son here is tikon. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Again, I'm not a Greek scholar if you learned that from the teaching lesson this morning. And this is not the usual word for son in the New Testament. It's a much rarer word. It's an endearing term. It's the word that, that Paul used when he was speaking about Timothy, his beloved son. It is only used a handful of times in the Gospels, and Jesus uses it for this man. Not only does Jesus address him with this loving term, he unconditionally says to him, your sins are forgiven. Music to his ears. And if this is not spiritual penicillin to a sick soul, I don't know what is. There was the verbal antibiotic that set the sick sinner free. And just as Jesus spoke the word and the sea was calm, and just as he spoke the word and demons fled, so here he spoke the words of comfort, love, hope, salvation that brought healing to this paralyzed man. Jesus had a bedside manner that was excellent, you could say. And there are no better healers than those who can make it clear to the patient that they are determined to heal. These words that gave the paralytic back his health made the teachers of the law sick. They were so disturbed by his audacity that they said, He's blaspheming! He's blaspheming! And they chose to call him out in that crowd, in that crowded room. This was the, the, the beginning of the end for the Lord, for the charge of blasphemy is what led him to be crucified. Jesus really stuck his neck out for this sinner. But in so doing, he revealed to us for all time one of the most powerful wonder drugs of the universe, the medicine of forgiveness. He invented and perfected it. It's clearly linked to healing even in the Old Testament. And he made it clear that it is more available than we realize. You cannot separate healing and forgiveness. Because any time that you forgive somebody, you cause healing to take place. Anytime that you say, I no longer hold this charge against you, healing begins to take place. Healing of relationships, healing of guilt. And if sin is a great cause of suffering, then forgiveness is a great cure for suffering. Because whatever eliminates, forgive, whatever eliminates forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. Isaiah 33 and 24, it says, No one living in Zion will say, I am ill, and the sins of those who dwell there will be forgiven. Isaiah, he was prophesying of a day when the sins of the world would be forgiven. Everybody who turns to him. The greatest healer in the world would be one who could provide forgiveness for all sin. Once and for all, you can't forgive and not heal. 1 John 1 and 8, it says, If we confess our sin." If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I gave you the wrong verse. I'm sorry about that. I gave you the one before. And there is an antidote for our condition. We often get far more than what we had anticipated. If 
they would have looked at the rabbis. They were probably frowning about the intrusiveness of the whole affair. Oh, I can't believe. <laughs> if they would have looked at the homeowner, he would have maybe threatened to sue them for ripping off of his roof. If they had looked at the listeners, they would have noticed their impatience about the interruption. Jesus was talking, you know. But when they looked to Jesus, they understood that these men were needing a miracle. God can take the ordinary, what is so ordinary to us, and do the extraordinary with it. If someone would have asked on that night that Paul was being let down, just like Pastor preached not too long ago, being let down in a basket from Damascus, what's in the basket? One might have answered, oh, it's just Paul. But how wrong they would have been. There was an undeveloped revival in that basket. If someone would have asked on that day that the four men brought the man on the stretcher, what is that on the stretcher? The crowd might have answered, oh, it's the palsied man who lives at such and such. But how wrong they would have been. There was an undeveloped miracle lying on that stretcher. Leave common things to men and they remain common, but give them to God and He has a way of moving beyond our sight into a greater realm of faith. What's in your hand, David? Oh, it's just a sling. No, that's a giant slayer. What's in your hand, Samson? It's just a jawbone. No, that's a weapon of God. What's in your lunch, kid? Oh, just some fish and bread. No, it's a feast for a multitude. No one else can see what God can see. That's why the Bible tells us that His ways are so far beyond our ways. His thoughts above our thoughts. Everyone else in the crowd can see the sick man on the stretcher, but God sees beyond the here and the now. You've seen the doctor's reports. You've, you've heard the problem, but have you, see, have you seen what God sees? Verse 6 of Mark chapter 2, it goes on and tells us, and some of the scribes were sitting there, and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, you, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk? Which is easier, to forgive someone of sin, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk? The religious leaders, they heard Jesus' pronouncement of forgiveness and they didn't say anything it loud but in their hearts they were ridiculing Jesus they have a theological problem with Jesus they confess properly that only God can forgive sin okay yes you are right think about that for a moment only God can forgive sin there's no room in their thinking of the possibility that God could take on human flesh and that Jesus could possibly be the incarnation of God. And so they conclude in their hearts that Jesus is guilty. He's guilty of blasphemy. And we know from the later gospel narrative that this charge follows Jesus all the way to his crucifixion. To them, Jesus is a charlatan, a fake. Words are cheap, and how can one verify whether or not forgiveness has taken place? Jesus asked them a few questions. Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? Your, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, rise, take up, your, take up your mat and walk. But he says this in verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man 
has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. The Bible tells us that immediately, immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all. They got to see for themselves. They got to witness this miracle for themselves. And it says, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Jesus opens a window of opportunity for these skeptics. His healing of this man is not only an act of compassion, but it is confirmation of his authority to forgive sins. He was proclaiming in that moment, I am the Lord. And in the middle of the room, a man who had to be lowered to Jesus stood by, stood to his feet and walked out the front door. We have never seen anything like this. If I could have the music come back. I told you I wasn't going to be long this morning. I talked quick. Everybody still with me? Awesome. Awesome. Sometimes you have to tear the roof off. Sometimes you have to make room for God to move. You have to clear some things out of your life. Clear the way for Jesus to move in your life. Hallelujah, Jesus. Can we, can we stand and just begin to magnify the Lord just for a moment here? Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise your name, God. We thank you, Lord, for your word. God, we thank you, Jesus, for the story that you put in there so that we could see your healing power. Lord, the authority that you have to forgive sins. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise your name. When God came to earth a little over 2,000 years ago, he did so with the sole purpose of saving a world lost in sin. But as we read, we find out that no room was made for him. Luke 2 and 7, it says, And she brought forth her firstborn son, talking about Mary, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. The Almighty God's first moments on this earth began in a humble manger because there was no room. In fact, we find out that when the king found out about his birth, he becomes so fearful that Jesus is going to overtake his rule that he orders a mass killing of all the baby boys in order to stop him. And Jesus' parents had to flee with him to Egypt. No room. When he grows up, he, he begins his ministry and the religious leaders of the day crowd him in, waiting with bated breath to try and catch him saying or doing something that's against the law so that they can nail him for it. Literally. No room. No room. Every word he spoke, everything he did, they were ready to condemn so that they could shut the door on his ministry. No room. But to the ones who did give him room, the lame leaped, the blind received their sight, the deaf heard, the dead were raised, and those in their sins were forgiven, all because they determined to give Jesus room in their life. The paralytic man lowered to the feet of Jesus through the roof, walked away forgiven and healed 
Jesus tell, didn't tell them to stop or go away. In a house with no more room, he made room for him to be lowered into the midst of the crowd. Let me tell you here this morning that Christ has made room for you. There's room for you. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's room for you. There's room for you. If anyone understood this, the apostle Paul did. And he wrote this in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law, the Spirit of life is Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus has made me free. This is his testimony. This is his testimony, Brother Laird. He's made me free from the law of sin and death. I don't know about you, but I have determined that I will make room for him. I will make room for him in my life. I will make room for him in my family. I will make room. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.